Our top stories. Russia said it would suspend America's inspections of its nuclear weapons under the New START treaty and blamed Western sanctions for making the process too difficult. The treaty is the only remaining nuclear arms agreement between America and Russia. It limits the number of nuclear weapons they can deploy and allows each country to inspect the other's arsenal. The treaty is set to expire in 2026, though President Joe Biden suggested last week that his administration wanted to negotiate a replacement. Israel reopened border crossings into the Gaza Strip on Monday during an Egyptian-brokered truce between Israel and Palestinian militants that came into effect on Sunday and appears to be holding. Fuel trucks were able to move into Gaza, relieving a severe power shortage. Israeli airstrikes on the enclave have killed 44 people, including two leaders of Palestinian Islamic Jihad, a militant group. China announced new military drills around Taiwan on Monday, despite its previous statement that live-fire exercises would conclude on Sunday. China also announced fresh drills to last until August 15th in the Yellow Sea, which separates it from the Korean Peninsula. The People's Liberation Army had already conducted its largest-ever coordinated exercises in the Taiwan Strait in reaction to a visit from an American delegation. Su Tseng Chang, Taiwan's prime minister, said his island would, quote, never bow to pressure. Ukrainian staff at the Zeporozhye nuclear power plant are, quote, working under the barrels of Russian guns, Ukraine's ambassador to the UN's nuclear watchdog said on Monday. He called for an international mission to the nuclear plant, which was damaged by Russian shelling on the weekend, according to Ukrainian authorities. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, has accused Russia of engaging in, quote, nuclear terror and called for international sanctions on Russia's nuclear sector. Travis McMichael, one of three white men charged with murdering Ahmoud Arbery in 2020, received a life sentence on hate crime charges, in addition to his existing life sentence for murder. The two other killers, Mr. McMichael's father and a neighbor of the McMichaels, will receive their sentencing decisions later on Monday. Arbery, a black man, was chased and shot while jogging through a mostly white neighborhood in Georgia, in an attack described by many as a, quote, modern-day lynching. SoftBank, the Japanese investment giant led by Masayoshi Son, posted a record-breaking quarterly loss worth $23.4 billion. The global sell-off in tech stocks did most of the damage. Mr. Son's Vision Fund unit spilled more than $17 billion of the red ink, flagging enthusiasm for startups and the failure to sell ARM, a British chipmaker, have been darkening SoftBank's horizons for months. America's Federal Aviation Administration said Boeing could soon resume shipments of its 787 Dreamliner jets, nearly two years after deliveries were first halted because of manufacturing flaws. The announcement is welcome news for the firm following a few bumpy years, owing to the grounding of its 737 MAX planes after two fatal crashes and disruptions to air travel during the pandemic. And fact of the day. 59%. The share of Kansans who voted to preserve abortion rights in the state. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Will crime hit Ilhan Omar in Minneapolis? 
Four states are holding primary elections on Tuesday ahead of the midterms in November. But it is perhaps Minnesota, specifically its 5th congressional district, which includes its biggest city, Minneapolis, which offers the greatest chance for a surprise. That is because of voters worried about crime. Since the summer of 2020, when George Floyd was murdered by a city police officer, policing has remained a hot-button issue. But attitudes have changed as crime, particularly shootings and carjackings, has soared nationwide. Ilhan Omar, a progressive Democratic congresswoman and a founding member of The Squad, may be on the losing side of the shift in attitudes. She has been an enthusiastic proponent of defunding the police, proposing to abolish Minneapolis's police department. In November, voters soundly rejected that idea, and Tuesday's primary gives them a chance to replace Ms. Omar with Don Samuels, a former city council member who has campaigned heavily on the issue of crime. Ms. Omar is still the favorite to win, but an upset is not out of the question. A new president for Kenya Kenya has been a multi-party democracy for 30 years. Its record of success is patchy. Elections in 2002 were a joyful affair, but a disputed vote in 2007 was followed by ethnic violence. Kenyans trudging to elect their fifth president on Tuesday will have a weariness in their step. That has much to do with the unprepossessing candidates. Raila Odinga, just about the front-runner, came second in the last three presidential elections he contested, but his alliance with the unpopular outgoing president Uhuru Kenyatta tarnished his reputation, and Mr. Kenyatta has struggled to persuade his tribe, the Kikuyu, to support Mr. Odinga. His main rival is William Ruto, the current deputy president. Jilted by Mr. Kenyatta, Mr. Ruto's populist campaign has tapped into Kenyans' discontent. Extravagant election promises, such as universal health care, will be difficult to fund and have met indifference. Many young Kenyans have not even bothered to register to vote. The victor will have to deal with a sullen electorate and a struggling economy. Perhaps Kenya has reached political maturity after all. Inflation in Emerging Markets Brazil and China are at opposite ends of the famous BRICS acronym, first coined by Goldman Sachs, a bank, to refer to four of the biggest emerging markets. The two giants are also at opposite ends of the global inflation cycle. Brazil's central bank was one of the first to react to the danger of rising prices. It began raising interest rates in March 2021 and has battled inflation furiously since. In June, the country's annual inflation rate reached 11.9%. New inflation figures on Tuesday could show signs that price growth is finally peaking. In China, which is suffering a prolonged property slump and intermittent virus-fighting lockdowns, economic overheating has seemed a distant worry. But new figures on Wednesday could show long-dormant inflation beginning to stir, finally threatening the government's 3% target. When it comes to inflation, these two emerging yet diverging economies could finish the year a little closer to each other. The People Choosing Britain's Next Prime Minister What is a Tory? Once the question was answered with comic references to pink faces and pinker trousers, the humor has faded. 
In the past four years, Conservative Party members have twice chosen Britain's prime minister. After Boris Johnson announced his resignation in July, they are being called upon once again. On Tuesday, they will gather in Darlington in northeast England, the latest stop on a tour by Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak, the candidates seeking to woo them. By the end of the week, members will have received their postal ballots, due back by September 2nd. No one knows exactly how many Tory party members there are. It is thought to be around 160,000. They are overwhelmingly male, old, and white. At Hustings, they are polite, if prone to the odd harumph. Some are attracted by the, quote, bonkers nature of Ms. Truss, the foreign secretary, and favorite to beat Mr. Sunak, the former chancellor. And many do, in fact, wear pink trousers. Philip Larkin at 100 By the time the poet Philip Larkin died in 1985, his best lines enjoyed wide currency in modern Britain. An elegant and accessible craftsman, bleakly humorous and free of illusions, he seemed perfectly attuned to the details of suburban melancholy. But when his letters were published in 1992, they exposed seams of misogyny, racism, and puerility. His reputation wobbled, yet recovered. In 2008, The Times, a British newspaper, hailed him as the greatest British writer since 1945. As admirers mark the centenary of Larkin's birth on Tuesday, his faults again are under the microscope. This time they are maligned by academics eager to reshape the literary canon. Traditional types complain that any move to cut him from school poetry anthologies is vandalism. Even his most ardent fans admit that his interests are narrow, but his rueful reflections on boredom and romantic disappointment still prove consoling for some. Despite the controversy, he remains the unofficial laureate of humdrum Englishness. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Tuesday. Which Maine-based retailer, founded in 1912, is famous for its outdoor clothing and equipment? Monday. Who was Richard Nixon's first attorney general who went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Philip Larkin, who was born on this day in 1922. Life is first boredom, then fear. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.